Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. And I'm Lauren Good, Senior Technology Editor at The Verge. And you're listening to Too Embarrassed to Ask, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is a show where we answer all of your embarrassing questions about consumer tech. It could be anything at all, like whether Kara Swisher will ever have a healthy relationship with her phone, which we discussed last week. We have a very, it's the best relationship I've ever had. But go ahead. Um, I wonder so, how some people would feel about that. <laughs> so send us your questions. Find us on Twitter or tweet them to at Recode or to myself or to Lauren with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. We also have an email address and we love your emails. It's toombarrassed at recode.net. And a friendly reminder, there are two R's and two S's and embarrassed. And if you spell it wrong, we're not going to get your email. Exactly. So Code Media wrapped up last week, but the content gods keep on giving. Yes. Don't they, care? Yes, they do. Isn't that how media is supposed to work these yes, days? Yes, we're not supposed to use our content. Lucas Shaw from I think Reuters just said that I, he was upset that I said we're content makers to the core. What are we supposed to say? We're journalists, journalists to the whatever. core? Whatever. We are journalists. We've done so much journalism. Don't get on our case about that. But here's the thing. At an event like this, we do a lot of great journalism. We but do. then we have to top it up into all these tiny bits and distribute it and monetize it any way we can. Right. Which is really just a long-winded way of saying that we're still giving you interviews based on this conference. And because um, it was a fantastic conference. Yeah, exactly. We had a lot of people talking about various ways content is changing and the journalism is changing and how people get their information, people from Facebook, uh, the scam, uh, uh, the 20. Century Fox, all kinds of things talking about where media is going, which has always been changing and been buffeted and shifted by the internet. So today on Tube Marist Ask, we're delighted to be joined by Sophia Amoroso, who is a Code Media attendee. And as many of you know, we've been talking a lot uh, to Code Media attendees for the podcast. But Sophia was better known as the founder of Nasty Gal, an e-commerce company you may have heard of. And she's also the author of a best-selling autobiography, Hashtag Girl Boss, which was turned into a Netflix series, though it was short-lived. I really like the show. Uh, she's had a lot of ups and downs in tech and media and commerce in a relatively short amount of time. And we're going to ask her about that and more on today's show. That's right. Sophia is also the founder of Girl Boss Media, which is getting a new life and fresh funding breathed into it right now as Sophia looks to reinvent her company once again. So we're looking forward to asking her all about that. Sophia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's talk about what's new first with Girl Boss Media, and then we'll sort of go into the lessons you've learned from your past right. uh, experiences in your time as an entrepreneur, which we all know is dog years, basically. It's just, it's a multiple. Yeah, it's been my whole life. So mm-hmm. I started Nasty Gal at 22, and mm-hmm. I like to say this is the second brand that I've started on accident, but the first business that I've started on purpose. Mm-hmm. And to do that after 10 years in the trenches, accidentally having a $30 million business pr- before before any venture capitalists even showed up to invest and then probably raising too much, probably hiring too many people a decade later in the afterlife. It feels like I can't be killed. It feels like a video game. I can be, but the beginning of things. <laughs> well, it's you're an so entrepreneur, exciting. but you're an entrepreneur. Like that happens a lot. To I am. I guess I've accepted that, that it is, and I didn't really stop for a second before mm-hmm. I got back up and kept going. Well, explain. With Girl we're going to get into your yeah. past, but let's talk about uh, what this is now. What is yeah. your latest right. venture? So, Girl Boss, and we kind of dropped the media just because the word media is like, what does it even mean anymore? We're not doing a ton of journalism, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're creating content uh, for women about thought leadership. Um, We really want to be the leader in millennial thought leadership for women and career resources and entrepreneurship resources. You know, because as someone who wrote this book four years ago, um, before so much has happened and being an entrepreneur was cooler than being like a rock star, Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, 
I didn't find myself in the business book section. I didn't find the women who weren't Sheryl Sandberg, who didn't have the pedigreed education. I have no college education, mm-hmm. um, who are doing things, who are starting businesses, who now have at their fingertips resources that I didn't have when I started an eBay store, but I did have that resource. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the internet has made it possible for those accidental entrepreneurs to have businesses and the right. hairstylist becomes the founder of dry bar. Um, and you know, the college dropout becomes the founder of nasty gal. So in December, the wall street journal reported that, uh, you've raised $3.1 million in funding, uh, yeah. led by Lightspeed, also mm-hmm. slow ventures, also Gary V also mm-hmm. Troy Carter's company. It's quite a list. Um, and this idea of redefining success for women, like through bits of media, I'm curious what that media actually looks like. If you had to describe sort of an like an emblematic piece of content right now that is what would make girl boss work. What is that? Um, I think one of the most, the highest performing pieces of content for us was I'm depressed and employed. Here's like how I make it work. And here's how I talk to my employer about it. Uh, It's just like having any other kind of illness. It's Mm -hmm. just a mental illness and Mm -hmm. you don't go in and, you know, other people don't catch it when you bring it to the office, but it, it's contagious in other ways and something Mm -hmm. that, uh, can really prevent us from doing great work. Was that, um, a, was that a written post or a video? It, it was or? a written post, yeah. Okay. So we do primarily written editorial content. We have a series of videos right now that are behind a paywall that we're calling Girl Boss Academy. It's like a paywall with a plug-in built on a Squarespace website right now. <laughs> so I have an engineer starting in two weeks. She's joining me from Tinder um, and a product designer starting next week. And so this is really a first for me in having control of like our technology mm-hmm. in a way where we can build something totally new because typical media or publishing looks one way and that's what we do look like today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then e-commerce is kind of like an out-of-the-box solution. You can't really mess with it that much. Right. And I think what we have the opportunity to do is is wide well, open. It's interesting. We interviewed Lydia Polgreen, who said of Huffington Post, she was talking about the same idea of service journalism, but not in the old traditional sense, because a lot of old women-focused media, like I'm thinking Cosmopolitan, uh, Glamour, um, Cosmopolitan probably more than any of them, mm-hmm. uh, were that idea of here's what you do, here's the tips, here's the here's how you get out of this. It's not to say there's nothing new under the sun, but you're trying to create something where people can have a resource for a variety of things that they experience yeah. as a non-pedigreed, highly... Totally, or pedigreed. You know, right. I think that the voice is just really, is a really approachable. We're not leaving anybody out. Mm-hmm. Um, our audience comes to us for resources. So she comes to us to find out what a turn... In, we have a very active Facebook group. So some of what I'm talking about it happens in this Facebook group. But they're coming to us and to one another to find out what kind of an attorney they should talk to to read an equity letter from mm-hmm. an employer for the first time. Or they have three different options for a business name. Like, let's vote on which one you, know, you guys think is best. Or uh, where can I connect in Nashville with Wi-Fi and an outlet to work, co-work all day if there is no co-working or is there co-working and mm-hmm. you know because they they're, they're traveling they're looking for recommendations to do their businesses freelancing in the kind of mobile 
digital nomad economy mm-hmm. is very much at play. Many of our audience are freelancers. Um, 50% of the women that come to our conference, we have two conferences. You do, you have yearly. two events. Mm-hmm. Uh, our next one's April 28th in Los Angeles. It's called the Girl Boss Rally. 50% of the women who attend that are business owners mm-hmm. and 100% of them, when we've surveyed them, say that they want to be a business owner. Oh, right. interesting. Which is just like so cool um, and such an amazing audience to be creating content for there's nothing out there. So as far as Cosmopolitan goes, right. they may be creating evergreen service content about what you should or shouldn't do, but it's coming, I think, largely from a place of, God, I don't want to knock Cosmo, but I think right. historically women like have Like you been, need to fix yourself. Women have been spoken to in a way that is like very kind of fear-mongering and mm-hmm. like this is what you need to be to get this. To get your man and or whatever, yeah. we approach this future in this time where women it feels like are beginning to write our own history and our own version of what success can look like for ourselves individually a conversation that we can have collectively as a group and share ideas and learnings and wins and losses um, and hacks to define together what that means for us individually. And that shouldn't just incorporate right. work and money. Right, exactly. Because historically this like version of success that Forbes magazine created that men, white men, old white men created a long time ago, um, left the rest of us out. And so what is this new world where we can redefine that for ourselves? We have, we have these tools at our fingertips and where women for the first time can think about how the intersection of work right, and personal life. The, the, uh, the Definition of entrepreneur has not meant a, wo- a young woman. Essentially, it hasn't. That hasn't, or especially a young woman of color, or, or anything else. Even though many of the tips may belong, maybe the tips that are entrepreneurs' stories do have a lot of commonality. Um, I'm thinking. I was surprised. I was just talked to Britt Morin, who is known for other things, more more home and mm-hmm. things like that. She just ran a cryptocurrency investing conference, which I thought was fascinating. She said she had 15,000 people on the thing because like, most women are not involved in the cur- cryptocurrencies. I think it's 4% of the investors are women, which again, another great uh, gold rush, largely dominated by white men, which is mm-hmm. interesting. And I was sort of like, wow, that's an interesting shift. And she's mm-hmm. like, no, it's not. And it was, it was a really, it, to me, it was interesting that she moved she's moving in a different direction like that. I think it is. I think a lot of people are moving in a direction of substance over or quality over quantity, mm-hmm. especially in publishing. Uh, I think women's publications have a lot of pressure to represent more than just what they have in the past and to take um, like a point of view on, you know, how they can serve their audience beyond inspiring them to like look cute and smell good. Uh Um, And I think it, I mean, I think that just like rises, raises all ships. I think it's good for everybody. I think everything that's happening right now mm-hmm. it's good to benefits smell okay everybody. Too. Care you smell okay. Oh, thank you. I'm just trying not to. You know. um, but what, I make an effort not to smell yeah. good. Um, but there's been a lot, it's really interesting. Lately in the past month and a half, I've heard of at least six different women-focused media companies from various ages, various people, 
um, and of various backgrounds. And it's really kind of an interesting thing because there had been such a, a focus on how women should get information and how it should not. I think it's part of the Me Too movement. I think it's part mm-hmm. of something's ha- something's occurring um, where people feel they need to take control of. They all read Girl Boss, right? <laughs> but what I was thinking of one of the Four things years interesting ago. about you is that I'll never forget interviewing you at the height of Nasty Gal and we were in a book when your book came out and we were in a bookstore and I think I said something to you that was you didn't mind but was crosswise to the audience it was a tough question about something and I literally felt the crowd was going to kill me like because they were like these uber fans of yours um, and it was fascinating because they it was almost religious it felt like they were like how could you say that to Sophia that and word I was keeps like, coming up yeah it's interesting. yeah it religious. was interesting well, yeah, you had religious. A, it was I don't want to use the word cult because that's not the right were, but they really, it felt like you had a fan base that was very different than other media fan bases. It was an interesting Yeah, and that was experience. just right when the book was coming right. out. Mm-hmm. Right. I like to say that, at, I mean, I used to say at Nasty Gal, we had an ambitious customer, which is like so weird for a fashion brand. But I think I was flattering myself in that this is an ambitious generation. Like mm-hmm. these women like have access to more than we ever have. Um the like opportunity feels like it's at our fingertips, mm-hmm. and the clothing um, style was no- nonconformist too. So it, in some ways, it would kind of make sense that that aesthetic like would appeal to a certain generation of women who are just like, I don't really need to wear like I long skirts so. and pantyhose to the office. I mean, I think in the end, Nasty Gal ended up looking for the uninitiated, more like a kind of twenty-something going to the club brand. Mm-hmm. But Nasty Gal in its peak was a brand that made women feel like they could take on the world wearing what they liked and not necessarily fitting in. Mm-hmm. And that was always a part of the spirit of Nasty Gal, which is something I'm really proud of. Um, but not something we necessarily owned or like played up. I think that's a dangerous thing in fashion to mm-hmm. do. It's kind of hard to have meaning when you're running a fashion company. You're mm-hmm. always just kind of make, making, it's just, you're patting yourself on the back if you're doing that. Right, so right. for our product to be our voice, when the voice is so was so integral to making Nasty Gal the brand it so was. So now you're just going to the voice. Now I'm just like, my voice is my inventory? <laughs> this is great. Yeah. <laughs> so you also plan, in addition to hosting events, and in addition to having what you call Girl Boss Academy, which is in effect a type of paywall, um, you're also um, looking at different types of partnerships I've read mm-hmm. and basically just different ways to monetize your media content and not rely on crummy display ads all the time. I think I've also read that you're looking at native advertising. It seems like a lot of people in media are trying to move away from the crummy display ad model and do different revenue generation things. What area of that has you most excited right now or do you see as being like... It just feels like it's right, like wide open and I feel... Well, events is one, right? Events is one, but as far as working with brands and, and, and brands being having an appetite for something new and the world being in a place where nobody really knows what works and everybody wanting to invest in something that's meaningful, Girl Boss is really well positioned. You know, we will never have traditional display ads in traditional sizes. We just won't. Um, I really admire the outline. I think Josh Topolsky's done a, an amazing thing, and I think their ad product is really beautiful. I have so much to learn about ad serving and tagging and all this stuff that's totally, totally new. I I think a really good example of how we work with brands is our partnership with Google. So in the last year, I mean, uh, along with Google, we've been able to work with Pinterest, L'Oreal, Cadillac, Amex, Equinox, Nike, the best 
brands in the world in our first year of business on a Squarespace site, which is like, just feels like, mm-hmm. it, it feels like the emperor, I don't know, like the emperor does have clothes, but like it's the not. emperor is like still building her business, right? right. Um, and so with Google, we did something called the Startup Studio at the Girl Boss Rally, and we had a room of programming all day and had built out this beautiful space that was had our, our branding, but also incorporated some of Google's colors. And it was a beautiful room um, with 40 Chromebooks. And so Chromebooks was, was really the partner. And we had workshops, uh, hour-long workshops all day on everything from building a P&L in Google Sheets to learning how to market yourself to how to deal with email and manage your inbox effectively. So you're integrating the product into like So we integrated the product into, into that program at the event and then we've also distributed the videos of those workshops after the event. It The partnership extended into email, social. That's one that didn't touch the podcast. Um, but we do custom podcasts as well. Uh, we just sold our first one that will be launching in the next few months. What's that called? It hasn't been announced yet, but it's a six or eight episode custom. On some topic, yeah. That's on, been very popular On a popular topic lately. that a brand completely owns. Yeah. So it's really just like a singular It's hard because we've been brought, a bunch, I've been brought a bunch of us and I don't want to do that. It's interesting. It's, I'm not going to host it? Yeah. So the point of Girl Boss is not to be the Sophia fan club. like. Right. This is about building enterprise value and something that's hopefully really lasting mm-hmm. and lasts beyond me and lasts beyond this moment in time that is such a perfect time for Girl Boss to be happening. I hope we're building something that is much more lasting than the time that we're in, which is such a perfect time and an incredible and important time for women, but something that extends beyond that and isn't just isn't necessarily writing that. Um, what about merchandise? We we had yeah. we had a Taylor Lawrence from the Daily Beast on a couple of weeks ago, and she talked about the YouTube culture and how a lot of the YouTubers, of course, like the millions and millions of followers and get millions of views, but they make a lot of their money off the merch. Merch. In fact, Kara and I came up with like an ad hoc merch strategy, mm-hmm. which we're trying to get we Fox no to buy it. Oh yeah, <laughs> we have none. But you obviously Zero. that's something yeah, you merch is have like a lot of experience in, yeah. right? So talk about how that fits into media companies. Do you think every media company should be looking at merchandising? I don't think every media company should be. I think BuzzFeed has done a really good job with Tasty. I mean, I think it's interesting as these companies grow, get huge, have to figure out how to get huger. They're realizing the power of brands. And at the end of the day, Girlboss is a brand, which gives us permission to transact in every which way. So I'm not precious about how how that looks in our future. One thing I've learned is that focus is incredibly important and just such a challenge for me. Um, And so merchandise... I mean, we may we have a few things on our website that was you know leftover merch from the last conference. It's not going to be a big play for us at least in the next year. If anything, it may be a licensed play. I don't look forward to having physical inventory again anytime <laughs> soon, maybe ever. Uh, so yeah, I, but I think as a brand, we we can we can play in a lot of different merchandise categories if we wanted to. All right. So let's talk about that, about your experience, because you say you don't want merchandise ever again. So what did you learn? This is from Jason Del Rey, who is a reporter for Recode, an editor for Recode, and he covered uh, your company, uh, its ups and downs. Um, what did you learn about a venture-backed company and taking money from VCs? And how has that changed to how you're running this new company? Maybe you need to go back in terms of what Gosh, happened. When I raised at Nasty Gal, we were doing about $30 million a year. And we thought we were on a run rate to like $130 million. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so we raised our first, the first money in was out of Index's growth fund. Right, mm-hmm. I remember, yeah. And it was $40 million in 2012. And from there, you know, the mandate was hire 100 people, grow by $100 million in the next year. And we Not were just easy. pulling numbers out of a hat. This was a right. time when I was meeting with Jeff Jordan from Andreessen and he was like passing on us because fab.com was like the pinnacle of e-commerce. <laughs> I remember that. It was such a different era. And so I think the best practices in e-commerce have come a long way since 2012. Um, there's a lot more executives with experience in e-commerce right. because at the time I was hiring people who were either from a pure play business that like Brian Lee might have started like, shoe dazzle or someone who's like a veteran merchant who right. hasn't really been in digital. Right, which is so a very different Finding business. the right leadership for Nasty Gal in the time that it came about was really challenging. And I was a young, like naive, like founder. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I, I think I thought I could hire C-level executives who would like just do their jobs, like write their job description for themselves, hold themselves accountable. And at the end of the day, like I think scientifically we've proven that an observed object behaves differently when like, you know, than when it's not observed. And the same is the case for everybody. And it doesn't mean I, you know, lead the company now breathing down uh, people's necks. Uh, I, I have a firmer grasp today on that at the end of the day, the way the company spends its money, uh, when the company becomes profitable, how ready we are for a Series A. I mean, I've never raised a seed round before, mm-hmm. and I just did my first seed round after you know uh, ten years of of entrepreneurship. Um, all the things that I need to back into now, like and plan for, and understand lo- what my success metrics are. Um, that are actually reasonable and not just pulling numbers out of the sky. Yeah, you found they made things up. What a surprise. Yeah. Did you feel like yeah. you were interviewing the VCs this time as much as they were sort of, you know, grilling you about your business? I, I think both, you know. Um, I th- Yeah, I think both. What, I mean, what were you looking for in terms of looking for strategic partners and things like that? So, I mean, it was a bit of a party round, so light speed led, but um, everyone from Gary Vee to the founder of Product Hunt and Dribble and... Uh, Troy Carter and uh, Joe Marchese and Alan Debevoise and Brian Lee and all these amazing people invested. I mean, I have this great like network. I mean, I have a network anyway, but people who actually have a literal interest mm-hmm. in this company doing well, who know every brand that we might want to work with, uh, who know every suitor who may want to acquire us, who know every other investor we may so want. So not as haphazard. Right. Much less haphazard. When I raised from Index, and I still love Danny Reimer, and I've like cried in front of him and been back to Index's offices, which was like such a healing experience mm-hmm. after losing so much of their money. Um, That's okay, they'll get more. We failed each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we both agree on on that and both made some some bad choices. But when I raised from Index... I had read all these like horror stories of boards just taking over and I had this company where I was able to still own so much of it. I think I own like 80% after they invested 40 million. It was a 350 post in you know, on a 30 million dollar like revenue at the time. It was just bonkers. So like how do you live up to to that? Um, even if we hit a million dollars, that multiple is like in private equity standards, like what? You're not turning a profit anymore? Mm -hmm. Anyway, I chose 
one investor because I was just like, oh, I can have two seats and you can have one and I'll just control my empty seat. And less conversations, great. But at the end of the day, I, if I really do feel like having network. more people looking at the business. Well, holds everybody accountable. Who don't mm-hmm. have competing priorities right. is really important. And I do lean on our... I, I do like that you feel badly because most male entrepreneurs who lose their money could give a fuck. No, <laughs> if Index ever invested again, it would be like a coup. Like, yeah. It would be so exciting. I yeah. just saw Demir and I was like, do you think Index would ever invest? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the same time, you <laughs> feel badly. So. No, very few entrepreneurs feel badly about any losses. They I, I really try to keep my promises. Like yeah. I made a lot of mistakes along the way and a promise can be hiring someone and getting excited about yeah. our beautiful future together and then realizing so, like, wrong person, So wrong we're time. here with Sophia Amorosa, the founder of Girlboss, and we have more questions for her. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, Lauren. Hashtag money. Hashtag content. Today's show is brought to you by Freshly. Meal kits are so last year. Freshly is the new way to get dinner on the table in no time. Here's how it works. Their chefs send you these delicious, freshly prepared meals so you can eat better without any of the work. I just got a box last week from Freshly and I have to say I was surprised because when I opened it, I was expecting that there would be lots of stuff I would have to chop and prepare because that's what a lot of the other meal kit services do. And I admit I enjoy those, but you know, they tend to be a lot of work. And with Freshly, there's no cooking or cleanup required. They're pre-prepared, the meals are delivered to your door fresh, they're ready when you are, you just heat them up when you're ready. Uh, The chefs and the nutritionists that work at the company make sure that every meal is all natural, nutritious, and made with high quality ingredients. So now you can come homely and still have a delicious chef cooked meal waiting for you. You just choose from their rotating menu of 30 options. If you try Freshly, you'll see what it's like to put literally zero effort into making dinner. Just go to Freshly.com slash T-E-T-A, that's T-E-T-A, to get $25 off your first order of six meals. That's $25 off plus free shipping at Freshly.com slash T-E-T-A. We're back with Girlboss founder Sophia Amoroso, who's attending Code Media this week in Huntington Beach, California, where Lauren and I happen to be. We just talked a lot about Sophia's current and future plans for her media company, Girlboss, where she's also the host of Girlboss Radio. But we also wanted to ask her what she's learned from her previous ventures and takeaways for other entrepreneurs who are trying to keep a startup alive, because she has a lot of experience in that. So we've talked a little bit about Nasty Gal. We've talked about how your whole experience has changed your new approach to your new company. Um, at one point, Nasty Gal, it was valued at, how many millions of dollars was it valued at? $250 million, Nasty said? Gal? Yes. At our peak, it was $350. $350 million. Uh, And at some point, you had to step back as CEO and filed for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. What happened there? And what did you learn? What was yeah. the biggest takeaway you had from that? So I stepped down as CEO a year, year and a half before Nasty Gal filed. And that was really a choice I made because the day-to-day interactions, like the CEO job, everyone's like, yeah, I want to be a CEO. And it's like, actually, I'm not really sure I want to market that as like a, a hope and dream for people because it's it's not that fun of a job. Um, what wasn't fun about it? It was a lot of meetings with like our C-suite um, who, you know, team who are amazing, um, but a lot of just like deliverables and deadlines and implementations and just a lot of the, Not the creativity kind of part. guts of the organization. And I'm really a creative at heart. I'm a brand leader. I'm a marketer. I'm a, you know, I know how to combine things that other people wouldn't combine to make something new. I don't think that that at, at that stage when a company has like a few hundred employees, that's a job that all want 
even in this company. Maybe if I figure out, maybe someday I'll hire an amazing chief of staff or I don't even know what I would need to do that job well. Um, so I stepped down as the CEO and promoted who, someone who was our chief product officer at the time. At the, in our business, it was like a chief merchandise officer into the CEO role, Sherry Watterson, who had run product at Lululemon. Um, and she was the CEO for the year and a half or so prior to the company filing. What happened, basically? What, what? happened? Um, we raised at a 350 pre when we were doing $30 million in revenue, pulling numbers out of a hat, hired 100 people, spent a lot of money hiring 100 people, got a really big office. Somebody signed a 500,000 square foot fulfillment center space. Um, you got ahead of yourselves. Got a little ahead of ourselves. I mean, you hire that many people that fast. There's companies that do it and do it well. At Nasty Al, it kind of felt like the Tower of Babel. I think there's a lot, you know, I've I've said a lot about and almost like made it seem very sexy to start a company on accident, but the domino effect or the, how you scale right. something right. that wasn't organized to begin with, I think can is just, you can, so you was, can guess what that was. Was that the like. biggest lesson you learned as a manager or did you just that you weren't a manager, you were creative? Or what, what was the lesson if you had to, if any of these people you're giving advice to would, would say, what would be yours? I think the lesson is, you know, hire great people and yes, trust them, but always know what their success metrics are, know what your success metrics are. And hold hold them accountable to it, and don't mm-hmm. be slow about course correcting. Right. Um, How much projection of the market you're in do you think people should be doing? Don't raise it too high of a valuation because it really kind of fucks you in the end. You're just you're. Yep. There's less options for you. Mm-hmm. It's great you own a bunch of your company, but what does that mean if you're too expensive to buy? Right. We right. became valued in private equity. Uh, multiples and not e-commerce multiples because e-commerce just became really unsexy for several years and mm-hmm. I think people are still a little hesitant to touch it even though there's like a playbook and a lot of companies with these incredible brands that are right. launching and doing a right. good job. You also did uh, a Netflix show, Girl Boss, which was yeah. a really good show actually, Thanks. but you had just one season there. Um, can you talk about that experience? Because it was it was actually a really good... Why did you do that? Because you were doing a lot of things all at once. I know. Yeah, it was a bit much. So, I mean, if Charlize Theron shows up and says, like, I want to do a show about your book and we have this star writer who wrote Pitch Perfect and Pitch Perfect 2 ready to be a showrunner and... Ted Sarandos' daughter read your book and... Ted Sarandos of Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that conspires to get a yes from Netflix. Um, I don't know. I think you say yes. Yeah. I yeah. think yeah. in your lifetime, if <laughs> Forbes says they want to put you on the cover, even though you're not sure what the next six months looks like for your company, you just say yes. Yeah. And if Netflix <laughs> says, says they want to make know. a show if about Netflix your life... wants to make a show about me, like, I'm leaving you. You just okay, say yes. Good. But all that happened like in a year's time... I was on the cover of Forbes. My marriage of a year went away. Mm-hmm. This guy like bounced. Uh, Did he really bounce? Did he he, he like bounced after like a year. He was just like, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then your company files for bankruptcy. Oh, you release a book and then you're promoting in Australia at the same time your company is filing for bankruptcy. And then a Netflix show about your life 10 years ago comes out and tells people, uh, a few months later and tells everybody about the person you were 10 years ago in the company you used to work at uh, while you're like in a new relationship, trying to start a new business, trying to tell a new story, but don't even know what it is and haven't processed. It's just like, 
I'm pretty proud that's of a lot. like <laughs> that's a lot of like yeah not letting that like affect me and just being like it's cool it's a cool legend yeah and, like whatever yeah. you wrote when the show <laughs> like, uh, was canceled that you uh, you were proud of the work that everyone did but you were looking forward to controlling your narrative from here on yeah so out. what does that mean let's I mean I, it was a really challenging time I'd never seen because I went on this crazy press tour for my first book I have never and hopefully never again experience the amount of press that comes with a television show. TV mm-hmm. is just like another beast. And so given that the company had filed for Chapter 11 four months before the show came out and that Nasty Gal was no longer, but here's this show telling the story about a business that you know just became acquired out of bankruptcy by some w- people in the UK. Were you relieved? It's a, it's really confusing to know who you are when like people are like, is she actually like that girl on the show? And at, at a right. certain point, people had walked up to me and said, like, are you are you as rude as the girl on the show? You seem really nice. And I'm like, <laughs> oh gosh. And I actually didn't think the character was that like awful, but that was some of the criticism. Um, and so, yeah, it's hard to have a caricature of yourself out marketing who you are or were or weren't right, were. Right, right, right. At any stage, no matter what happened or whether you company whatever, it's just really strange. So, right, um, it's like the show was focused on your just, dumpster diving, shoplifting days when you were well beyond that at that point. Yeah, and yeah. It's just weird that. to have a story told about the last ten years of your life when you're starting like a new chapter. Right, like right. that's just really so. Strange. Let's uh, finish up talking about sort of the idea of success because you've been through a lot in a very short amount of time. Still, so when you're Talking about defining success, what would you tell entrepreneurs right now looking into get into the media business or the e-commerce business? If you, I, I hate to do tips, but you know they they do help. What are your? I mean, just at, at this stage in my life, be really buttoned up, have an incredible brand, even if you have to pay someone to invent it, call Red Antler or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, um, be really buttoned up. Um, find advisors who have an incredible network. So I've just begun advising companies for the first time, which is really exciting because I have this amazing network of investors and advisors. Mm -hmm. And um, that's really, really important because you can't even get in the door to those meetings without those relationships. Um, Have a, have, I don't know, audacious like aspirations. I think I put that we wanted to be like, Oprah for millennials and like Supreme with boobs in our deck. And I think that kind of like, I think that's like, okay, this is big. This is like maybe big. When they get into retail to be like that. How did that go over Supreme with boobs? It was fine. Yeah. If if a dude wrote it, I think it would not be fine. No, that's true. That's a fair point. (laughs) That's a very fair point. Brian Goldberg cannot write that. No, no, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Would you... uh, what advice would you give to female entrepreneurs specifically, especially um, given that they're, you know, we know the the dismal numbers around female entrepreneurs, but not only female entrepreneurs, but like getting investments from VCs and all of that. I mean, is there anything specific you would say to female entrepreneurs? Yeah, I just say do it. The more of us who do it, the more room for there is for the rest of us. Um, I'd say don't be a shrinking violet. What does that mean? Um, don't be a shrinking. Like, what, what's an example of like don't how don't, that happens? Like, sit on the side of the table. Like, lean into the conversation. Interrupt people if you have to. Don't see yourself as the exception in the room. And that goes for all kinds of people, not just women. But if you're seeing yourself from the 
point of view as someone who is other than, even if you are other yep. than, there's like a psychic voodoo that you put out into the world that really can cause blocks for you. So I've just was just like, I don't, I don't, I didn't really consider that I had a vagina at any point when mm-hmm. I like entered a room. I think that is a position of privilege in that I had bootstrapped my company and totally, totally different because a lot of women and especially women of color can't even get into those conversations. But when you do, don't operate from a place of fear or lack. Just operate from a place of power and whatever you need to do, if that's like a power pose or reading some Elizabeth Gilbert, (laughs) whatever it is to get there, just get there and... um, and, and fake it till you make it. Lastly, how do you look about the impact of? Are you figuring the Me Too movement into this? Because now we have a we have the Me Too movement and the backlash, and then the backlash to the backlash. And do you imagine it changing the equation? Because I don't imagine it. I think it's. I hope it will change. You think it's just a bunch of noise? I sometimes do because I. You know, it feels like I've been through it ninety times, and the progress is so slow. You know, I thought Ellen Powell would change things, and it didn't. And I was hoping the Uber thing would change things, and it. I think didn't change quite. takes a really long time. I think we're in this point where we're like ripping limb from flesh and like culture is just totally fucked. And like we're there's going to be room to write something new. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I mean, when I was in high school, like the girl who was in like the soror- going to go into college and become a sorority girl would never have gone to a women's march. Mm-hmm. And the That's women's march is full of teenagers and full of young people and it's not for people with hairy armpits and hairy legs like that was super fringe when i was 18 years old i had hairy armpits and hairy legs mm-hmm. like i wouldn't let people open the door for me which i now like insist with my boyfriend <laughs> poor everybody. guy everybody <laughs> everybody um, opens the door for sophia but like the world was really different. If you didn't choose a gender, it was super weird. And I knew people like that who who lived in anarchist like houses in Seattle. But that's a global. It's a huge conversation now. So, what and do you imagine happening? What would you like to see happen? And what do you think will happen? Oh God, come on! I don't know. Come on, fucking Nostradamus. Yes, you're in fucking Nostradamus. <laughs> Thank you. Is that why you have? <laughs> yes, that's why I have people you here. on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do I think the future holds? Yeah. Um, Can you answer on behalf of all of us? Fuck. While, while um, you're looking in your crystal ball. I think. That if Girlboss does its job well, does our job well, uh, the future becomes a place where more women see opportunity and don't see roadblocks and are met with open arms and are given a fair shot and are also honest with themselves about their shortcomings Mm -hmm. and don't use that as an excuse for not getting to where they get. I think a lot of what needs to happen is like the individual taking responsibility for themselves and then and and what they believe in and hopefully culture changes along yeah. with it. Yeah, I think we have to take everything by force. Like yeah? I think we have to not get people are talking about I think you see a little bit of oh maybe we should do the truth and reconciliation part, you know, we're the truth part and now we should reconcile. I don't think we should reconcile at all. I think, I think it has to be a, t- a two-pronged approach. No, I don't think we should reconcile. I, I just, but, but I like the idea of personal and responsibility and always forgive. Of, always forgive. Say, okay, now we can move on. I don't want to move on until... No, I don't think we're going to move on. That's what I wonder. That's what I wonder. Yeah. Time's always going to be up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that is a good <laughs> ending. All right. So Sophia has 
uh, Girl Boss Media. Uh, that's the last question. We did have one question from someone about the word girl, speaking of which. Okay. They didn't like the word girl. I don't mind it. Did you do you get a lot of pushback for using girl yeah, rather than woman boss? Or rather than just boss. Boss. People like to be really literal. So mm-hmm. if you were really literal and didn't do your homework, the word feminist would mean like you're you think women are better, right. which is not really what it means. No, that's not what a feminist. Is. So there's lots of uncreative people who will take things super literally. Being a girl boss is much more of a philosophy than it is a literal statement about being a woman who's a boss. Mm-hmm. I think being a girl is coming from a place of wonder and room to grow. I don't want dudes calling me a girl, but this is a company founded by a woman for women. And I don't think that there's anything offensive about saying girl boss. Lady boss sounds stupid. Yeah. Woman boss sounds dumb. Vagina really, boss isn't going to work. It's a good brand name and it's yeah. working. So. Yeah. Yep. I like it. Kara says lady boss. Lady boss. Girl boss. All right then. I'll start Lady Boss and see what happens. Now, someone I, already did. It's a whole cottage industry. I'm just, I'm like, just the boss. I think it's a great name. Anyway, it's been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Sophia, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. If you all enjoyed this week's episode as much as we did, be sure to subscribe to our show and you can leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. When you subscribe, you'll be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday or catch up on previous episodes where we answer all of the tech questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask. And if you're not an Apple podcast, you can subscribe on Spotify, Google Play Music, basically wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can just go to the website, go to recode.net slash podcast and you can find all of our shows there. And while you're there, you should check out our other shows, Recode Decode, Recode Replay, and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. The Verge also has a fantastic podcast called The Verge Cast. It's hosted by Neelai Patel. Ashley Carmen and Caitlin Tiffany host Why'd You Push That Button? And don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time to at Recode with the hashtag Too Embarrassed or email them to us at Too Embarrassed at Recode.net. Thanks to everybody for listening and thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Cadence 13 and Vox Media, which sells all those ads so you can listen to the show for free. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie. And of course, to our producer, Eric Johnson, who's like a roving producer at Code Media this week, just like running, he's literally running around with all of his gear. We'll be back next week to answer more of the questions you've been too embarrassed to ask. So tune in then. I'm Sean Ramosverum. I'm the host of Today Explained, a new show from Vox. It's an all killer, no filler daily news explainer that'll drop every afternoon. But not on the weekend. Our show's going to explain the news every way we know how. Clips, radio drama, maybe even a song. Today. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen.